0: And learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all, thanks so much for joining me for session 270 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our conversation after a word from our sponsors. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact like a good neighbor, state form is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. as women, we put our hearts into everything. May is high blood pressure education month and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the pressure wants to help black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. during high blood pressure education month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at macy's.com ownyourstyle. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. If you're someone who enjoys taking personality tests, you might have heard of Enneagrams. If you're not familiar, Enneagrams are models of the human psyche that are based around nine intertwining personality archetypes. This week, I'm joined by Chichi chi Agoram, a certified Enneagram teacher and practitioner, and the author of the Enneagram for Black Liberation to chat all about it. Our conversation explores the history of the Enneagram, differentiating between the nine personality types and how the Enneagram can be used as a tool for Black resistance and liberation. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TVG in session or join us over in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chi-Chi.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation.
0: Likewise, likewise. So we are going to talk a little bit about your new book. So the Enneagram for Black Liberation, which I'm very excited to get into. But before we get into that, can you tell me about the history of the Enneagram? Like what is it and how is it used?
1: Mm. So the Enneagram has been around in... Some form since the 13th century. So it's been around for a long time. And it has roots that go back to different wisdom traditions across the world. So there's some roots that go back to the Sufis, a lot of different religious groups from back in the day. But what we call today the modern Enneagram, which is like the circle, the diagram that most people see now, the beginnings of that started in the 13th century and have since then been melded, if you will, with some psychology. It was brought to the United States back in the 70s. And the founders of the Narrative Enneagram, which is where I got trained, David Daniels and Helen Palmer. David Daniels, he's no longer living, but he was a psychologist. And so he added the element of psychology with the spiritual tradition that really looked at people's core selves, true selves, and then these other personality aspects that we take on to navigate the world. And all of that combined together now gives us those nine types that we talk about today and use as the Enneagram of personality.
0: So how did you become interested in the Enneagram to get the further training that you did?
1: I was in grad school studying to be a therapist. And one of my friends at school mentioned the Enneagram. And I wasn't really interested because I felt like I had other tools that were working well and I didn't really feel like it made any sense. The diagram seemed weird. I wasn't interested, but then it kept coming back up in conversations from different people that I did actually respect. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a try and see what this thing is about. And for me, it felt... Like somebody finally gave language to aspects of the way that I experienced the world or experienced myself that I had not gotten language for before. There were many ways before I found the Enneagram that I felt like it must just be me. I must be the lone person in the world who has these thoughts or struggles with these things or sees the world this way. And one of the most distinct feelings I remember when I came to the Enneagram for myself was, oh, it's not just me. This is a common way of viewing the world and I could explore other ways of being. I don't have to be stuck in this one point of view. So that's what drew me in. And then after I finished grad school, began pursuing training and certification with a narrative Enneagram. I was drawn to the way they talk about the Enneagram because it's very narrative based. It's very much about storytelling. We prioritize the lived experiences of the people in the courses and the classes. So for as much as I know about the Enneagram and I've written a book about it, if we were talking about what potentially your Enneagram type was, I would be relying on the stories you tell me about yourself, about how you experience the world, about how you respond to certain things as a way to piece together core motivation across time. And I love narrative. I love stories. I think people's stories are beautiful. And I think the way people talk about their stories offers more information than like a multiple choice test. So I was very drawn to that format too with the narrative Enneagram. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so talk to me
0: more about the book. So, you know, you call the book the Enneagram for Black Liberation. And I always think it's really interesting how, you know, we come to these, you know, like you said, this has been around since like the 13th century. And so black people were likely not a part of bringing this to the forefront, but you have put your own spin on it and really are talking about it in terms of black people in the black community. Can you talk about the inspiration for the book?
1: The inspiration for what became the Enneagram of Personality came from communities of color in parts of the world that a lot of, of communities in the Middle East, for example, were part of the inspiration for this. But to your point, as it became more familiar in the West, as, as it came over here, Black folks were not necessarily a part of those conversations. What led me to write the book was my partly my experience as I was being trained in the narrative tradition and then just the conversations I was having around that, I was often the only or one of very few Black people in the space. And I had questions about how my lived reality played in with some of what I was learning. So for example, when I first started training, there were a lot of components of the work that were stating that the goal for health, the goal for being well, was to be undefended, I think is a good word for it, because our types are seen as things that maybe we needed when we were kids. So we formed these personality traits and habits when we were kids, and they offered us help and solution at that point. But as adults today, we don't need them as much. So we just need to kind of like, let go, release them and enter life in a more undefended state. And I kept thinking as I would listen to those lectures, like that doesn't work for me. That works for some people in this society to go around undefended. But for a lot of people, that doesn't work. What is my work then, right? What is healing and health and wellness look like? What does that look like for somebody who still needs those protective? Things. And so that's really what began my exploration of how does power and privilege and identity play in with Enneagram work? What does it look like for us to identify? I talk about types as armor. So we needed in the past these pieces of armor to protect ourselves in the world. And for some of us, we still need that armor. And rather than introducing shame, because that's also kind of what I was. Like an undercurrent that I was picking up on in some of those conversations was that if you were too identified then, if you were using your armor too much still as an adult, then you're not doing your work. And I felt like that can't be true
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I still need my armor. I still need protection in a world that's not safe for me. And that's not a thing of shame. That is a necessity. And my work then is to be able to create space between me my full true self, and then these protective mechanisms that I use to navigate the world and be able to have choice when I lean into that and when I step back from it.
0: Hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, as you're talking about like how you are kind of reimagining what has traditionally been, how the Enneagram has been used, what kind of feedback have you gotten from other Enneagram practitioners? Like has there been support for the way that you're reimagining it or has there been criticism?
1: I'm sure that there's criticism somewhere nobody has said it to my face. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't say it. <laughs> they haven't they haven't told me. It has received a lot of support even within the narrative tradition. I was really nervous when I started writing the book cuz I was like I'm going to be criticizing some of the ways that I was taught to think about this and I'm not sure how they'll take it, but I think it really worked well with the movements that have been happening since 2020 because there was already a lot of critiquing and shifting and changing that was happening within that culture. So there's been a lot of support and I have felt really excited to see how many people are excited about it, resonating with it, and wanting to use this model of thinking about it, especially as it relates to introducing equity and privilege and power into these discussions. Part of what I wanted to highlight too with the book was that In the United States and in a lot of Western cultures, it's very individualistic, right? So even when we approach healing work and wellness work, it's me-centered. And that's what I was noticing in a lot of Enneagram conversations, Enneagram communities, is how do I become my best self? What do I need to do to be a shinier version of whatever type I lead with? But I really wanted to draw our attention to how our armor and our types impact and influence the people around us and the communities around us. So I might need my armor to protect myself, but sometimes my armor can unconsciously be weaponized against other people, making it less safe for them to put down their armor. And that's also part of my responsibility if our freedom is interconnected. And so really wanting to expand the conversation from just this is just about you and you being the best version of you, but to really think about how does this impact us all? How can this help free us all? Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. So you mentioned that there are nine different personality types that you know are classified via mm-hmm. the Enneagram. Can you talk about those for us and kind of break down what each of them is?
1: Yes, I can give you a quick overview. So there are nine <laughs> nine types. And the idea here is that one of them is your primary type throughout the course of your life. It's kind of like home base. So there might be a few different types that you maybe feel like, oh, I could be that, or I could be that. But our types don't change over time because the Enneagram is more about core motivation and less about behavior. So your behavior will shift and change over time, but the core motivation, the core story never really shifts. So- I will start with, they're numbered one through nine, which is easy. So I'll start with type one. Type one is known as the perfectionist. And this core story for type one is that they have to be good and do the right thing in a world where you are punished for being bad, for making mistakes, for showing up and doing the wrong thing. So there's a lot of energy and effort with type ones to live up to their own standard of what it means to be a good person, what it means to be perfect. For type twos, they're known as the givers, and the story here is that the only way that I am valuable and therefore loved is if I show up for people and help other people. And so they spend a lot of their effort and energy anticipating other people's needs, showing up for other people, taking care of other people in an effort to be valuable and to be lovable. For type threes, they are called the performers, and the threes believe that to be valuable and to be lovable, you have to be seen as successful. You have to be seen as accomplished and capable. So they spend a lot of their energy and a lot of their time pursuing things that they can succeed at, pursuing things that they can shine at in an effort to feel valuable and loved. Side note, the U.S. is often referred to as a three culture, so we all kind of have this overlay that says no matter what field you're in you have to be seen as capable and successful and that applause is what communicates that you have value then we have type four known as the romantic or the individualist and fours believe that to have value and to be loved you have to offer something that's unique something that's different something that nobody else is bringing to the table To prove that you have enough value to be loved and to belong. So they tend to be creative. They tend to try to think about new and interesting ways to present things all in an effort to be seen as valuable and deserving of love. Then we have type five. And fives are known as the observers. They believe that in a world that can be overwhelming, demanding, where people ask for a lot and take a lot but don't give enough, they have to protect themselves from being depleted by gathering enough knowledge to stay self-sufficient. So they spend a lot of time gathering information, knowledge, like knowledge is safety for fives. So as a way to keep themselves safe and as a way to make sure that they have what they need so that they don't have to be dependent on other people and then have to engage with other people's demands. Type sixes are known as the loyal skeptics. So for sixes, the world can be a dangerous, threatening place. And the best way to protect yourself in that scenario is both to find something or someone or a belief system to be loyal to as a way to find safety. So if you think about like the pack animal mentality, where if you're a part of the group, then you're safe. You're not easy prey for the predator. But if you're on your own, you're more likely to get eaten, right? So finding something outside of self to be loyal to, but also there's a level of skepticism because they don't tend to trust easily. And so there's a, I want to be loyal, but Are you telling the truth? Are you who you say you are? So they might push back, they might test. They want to make sure that the person or the institution or the group that they're giving their loyalty to really is trustworthy. So they're the loyal skeptics and this is how they believe they keep themselves safe. And then we have type seven and sevens also believe that the world could be a place in which there's a lot of unnecessary suffering. And so for them, the best way to keep themselves safe from unnecessary suffering and pain is to plan, to make sure that they are thinking of possibilities and options. And they spend a lot of time in the future kind of imagining what could be as a way to protect or insulate or avoid whatever is happening in the present that might be difficult or painful. They're called the epicures or the optimists. So they spend a lot of time imagining possibilities and take on an optimistic view of the world, but to the detriment of being present with what else might be going on. And then we have type eight. Eights are known as the protectors on the Enneagram. And eights believe that the world is a place where Unfortunately, people are out to get you and the world is a place where you're either in power or you're powerless. You either take charge or someone else will take charge of you. And so because of that, they bring a lot of their energy to being strong, to being powerful, to being in charge in an effort to not be taken advantage of, controlled, or left feeling powerless. So this doesn't necessarily have to be in like physical strength necessarily, but just this sense of I have to show up as strong and powerful and capable in order to protect myself in a world where I might be taken advantage of otherwise. And then finally, we have type nine known as the mediator, or the peacemaker. And nines believe that to have access to worth and belonging, they have to be easygoing and adaptable and they have to go with the flow. So they tend to be people who avoid conflict, who don't want to ruffle any feathers, who go with what's expected of them just so that they do not get kicked out of connection just so that they're still seen as worthy. And so they tend to diminish what they feel, what they need, what they want in favor of responding to what the people around them need from them. So that's all of them in the shortest, quickest overview I could (laughs) give.
0: (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful examples. I appreciate you going through that both quickly and very thoroughly. I think that that will be great. So as you were talking, I'm thinking about like all of the different cultures and like different, you know, just even situations that I think we've seen in the past couple of years that feel like oh this is what it feels like you're speaking to here so I would love a little bit more background around like how these personality types then develop so is this something is this a theory kind of based in like childhood experiences develop and that's what leads us to our personality style and because you said it doesn't change right so Mm -hmm. we are kind of always driven by whatever our core personality style is tell me a little bit about like the theory behind it
1: So there are actually multiple different theories about this in particular, but generally what I have come to believe is that, yes, the personality type, the the core story doesn't change over time and often is formed and shaped in childhood in response to what we experience. So let's use type three as an example. Helen Palmer, one of the founders of the Narrative Enneagram, talks about how when we first come into the world, we're in this untouched state. And I think of it as like, we have access to this part of ourselves that knows without a doubt that I am deserving of love without effort, that I am deserving of safety, of belonging, of connection. But using the type three, the performer, as an example, let's say maybe at four or five or whenever you start going to school, you notice that your parents seem most excited and most proud of you when you come back with like the best grades in the class or when you scored the winning goal at soccer or you know like these things where that's when you get attention that's when you get validation that's when you feel really loved and then it starts to wire that story in right that this is what i have to do to get attention and love and validation and if that continues if that pattern continues then it kind of becomes hardwired as a survival strategy and then that's what carries through adulthood of this underlying story of if i'm just being if i'm just being still and not doing anything that's not enough for love that's not enough to be seen as valuable and worthy of attention i have to do something and i have to shine i have to be the best at it in order to be seen and so It's formed in childhood, and it's that core story that doesn't change. But again, the behavior around it might change, right? The activities you're pursuing might change, and some of it might soften over time. You might not be as obvious as when you were a teenager. We often say that you can see, for most people, not everybody, but you can see most clearly in the like teenage years, like 17 through 21, you can see the type structure most clearly because usually for most people, after you've lived a little, done some work, gone to therapy, some of the behaviors might soften. And so I often hear people say, oh, well, this type sounds true of me when I was younger, but maybe not so much right now. And I would say, go with that one. That sounds true of you when you were younger, because it's probably still true, but our types get sneaky the more work we do. So my question that I love to ask is, how is it showing up today? You know, In what part of my life is it showing up as opposed to, oh, I used to do that, but I don't do it anymore
0: hmm. More from my conversation with Chi Chi after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Attention all last-minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th. And if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, and they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more. Like a list for the mom who has it all. And a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com giftfinder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. You may be aware that most people who are black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash blood to make an appointment now.
2: How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember, you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again. And happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from ziplining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at VisitOrlando.com. So tell me how
0: Enneagram compares to other kind of like popular tests. So like the MBTI, I think is probably the most,
1: mm-hmm.
0: most popular one. Tell me how this compares to
1: that. That is the most popular one. And the biggest difference with the MBTI and the Enneagram is that the MBTI focuses on behavior. So like whether you're introverted or extroverted, those sorts of things, whether you like structure, but the Enneagram focuses on core motivation, which is not easily observed from the outside, which is why a lot of this work is about self-observation. It's why I don't tell people like what type that they lead with or who they are, because really the work is founded upon an ability to observe yourself to notice, what are the patterns? How am I showing up in this moment? So I would say that's the biggest difference is core motivation as opposed to behavior. And by that also, I will say that you and I could have very different core motivations, but show up in the world in the same behavioral way. And so from the outside, people might be like, oh, they're probably the same Enneagram type, but you might be approaching whatever it is you're doing for a completely different motivation than I am approaching it. And that's why the work of like paying attention to what's the motivation behind the way that I show up, behind this request I'm making, behind this activity I'm choosing to do. I would say that that's the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. And how do we
0: find out our Enneagram type? So is there like an online test that you take or is this done with a practitioner? How do you find out your type?
1: My favorite way is When it's done with the practitioner. In the narrative, we do typing interviews. So it's a conversation about 45 minutes long. And like I ask a series of questions, things like just open ended questions. So things like, what does success mean to you? What's your relationship with anger like? How do you make decisions? And I'm listening for common threads of core motivation throughout your answers as you talk about yourself and give me examples and then reflect back and say, This is what I heard. It could be either this or this. We always give you options because, again, it's about self-observation. So kind of going home and holding those options and seeing what fits best. There's also a test on the Narrative Enneagram website that you can take. It's reading through descriptions, like short paragraph descriptions of all the nine types and ranking your top three and then doing a little further exploration of those three and, again, observing to see which one feels most true of you over time. Mm hmm.
0: It seems like I've seen more people recently talk about like their Enneagram type, whereas before it was like, oh, I'm an ENFP or, you know, mm-hmm. so it definitely feels like the Enneagram is the new thing that um, people are its excited moment. about. It, yeah, it's, it's having a moment. Yeah. And I want to hear you talk a little bit about like why we are so drawn to things like this. Right. So people love it feels like like to figure out their type. So can you talk about why personality tests like this are so popular?
1: You know, I feel like this is actually a great question to highlight the difference in core motivation because I feel like that answer is probably different for each person, right? Like I, I love personality tests and things like this because it helps me understand myself better and then it helps me communicate about myself better so that other people will understand me better. Right, So my motivation is to feel seen and understood, and part of the way I do that is to develop good language around myself and how I work. I know for some other people, it's it's interesting and appealing because it can create like predictable boxes that you can put other people in. So it's like, all right, well, if I know this person is a type this, then I know X, Y, Z about them, so I know what to expect, and I know how to engage with them. And that maybe gives you a sense of safety or control. I think that there are various reasons that people approach it. But I do think in general, it helps us. The more language, the more understanding that we have about why we do what we do and about who we are, I think that kind of self-awareness is always a good thing. It helps us show up in more grounded ways and in more real ways in our conversations and in our communities. So in that way. I think it's it's a great thing. Mhm. I think the caution is to not use it as a way to put people in boxes. That's what I see most often. And that's not how you're supposed to use the Enneagram. <laughs> it's not about putting people in boxes. It's about identifying the stories or the boxes that we've already kind of been locked in for so long subconsciously and exploring paths out of that, exploring what else could be true in addition to our original stories.
0: Yeah. And I think the caution too. what I think I see most often is people then putting limits on themselves because of whatever they feel Mm -hmm. their type is. Right. So I'm a two. And so that means I can't change this behavior. This is kind of just who I am.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I often see that too. And I think that that's something to be aware of.
1: Absolutely. Your Enneagram type is not an excuse for not doing your work. (laughs) It's not like, this is just my type, so I guess this is as far as I can go, or this is what I always do. The invitation is to notice that, and then in that space that you've created, what else would you like to try? Is this story actually true? I have a couple cohorts of Black women where we're using the Enneagram to explore our armor and like the, the self beneath the armor. And this is one of the questions that I repeatedly use both in my life but with working with other people is, is this my story or is this reality? Is this just a story of me being a two or is this reality? In reality, does this person need my help or is this my story that I have to be helpful otherwise you won't love me? And then being curious about that allows us to access what's really happening, what's really true. And then we have the option to move forward in a grounded way as opposed to being limited to just the singular story.
0: Well, what a beautiful segue, Chi-Chi, because as you were reading the types, so the first three, I'm thinking like, oh, this is a lot of Black women, right? So this perfectionist giver and then the performer was three, right? I'm thinking this is a lot of how we show up. And so your earlier comment around like how... It isn't always safe for us to give up that armor, right? You know, so we already know the the discrepancies and how we are disproportionately impacted in in workplaces and things, you know. So a lot of that I think is drilled into us as a survival tactic. So I'd love to hear more about like how the Enneagram can be helpful for Black women and to hear more about like how you're using it with Black women.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that there's so much of that that. You know, I agree with what you said. That's part of the survival strategy for a lot of Black women. I think women in general are socialized in our culture to think that the type two is the right way to be a woman, right? So you have to kind of be a martyr. Make sure everyone else's needs are met before you attend to yourself. Never really ask for too much. Make sure you're always helping and giving and caretaking. But I think that... When I think of the Enneagram types as armor, I think of like your primary one as like the first layer of armor. Then I think of all of these other elements like culture, racial identity, maybe even experiences with trauma that create additional layers of armor that we carry. And I think for Black women in particular, the additional layers of armor are a lot, they are heavy in addition to your primary type. So I often find that type eight actually is one is one where a lot of Black women are mistyped because there is this expectation in our culture that you show up as strong, that you show up as being able to handle anything to some degree, untouched by the difficulty and the suffering around you. Just like that energy of like I can power through anything, right? What was type eight again? Type eight is the protector. Protector, Got it. And AIDS are very protective of the people around them that they love, you know, whoever's within their tribe, their circle. And so that part can also feel very familiar as an additional layer of armor. And isn't it true for a lot of Black women in this society that in a lot of spaces if you don't show up in that way, there is actually an attempt to overpower. There is actually an attempt to take advantage of, right? So the story is born from reality. It's not just like, oh, I'm just imagining that the world is a place where people act like this. No, it's born from real experience. So that's an additional layer of armor, right? I think of the type six also as an additional layer of armor, I think for black folks, but the type six is a loyal skeptic. And one of the Primary characteristics of this type is I call it threat forecasting. So, constantly, you know, a few steps ahead, thinking through what could go wrong. What are the places where I need to be prepared in case something goes wrong, right? So, sixes tend to have everything with them that they might need in case something goes wrong. And I even think about just like the conversations that Black parents have to have with their kids so young about how to act when you are around a police officer, right? It's like all of the, I'm threat forecasting. I know that there's danger out there. So I'm thinking through all the things that could go wrong and trying to prepare myself for that and carrying that as an additional layer of armor. So that's like the two, that's the six. And then my theory (laughs) around black culture, particularly in the US, is that it's a lot of sevenness. Sevens are the optimists or the epicures, where it feels like, The pain and the suffering and the limitation is just so much that I will drown if I actually stay present with this. Like it's too much and it will consume me. And so I reach for things that feel fun I reach for laughter as a way to kind of escape, right? So we turn up, we have memes. Like there's nothing funnier than black Twitter, (laughs) nothing at all, but like we use humor and we use lightness and dance and all these things are wonderful coping skills. But in the story of the seven, it's binary. It's either I'm laughing and I'm focused on what's possible and optimism or I drown there's no in-between, right? Where we can actually pause and hold both things, you know, be present with some of the grief and allow ourselves to feel joy. So in many ways, I think that all of these could be additional layers of armor. And with black women, you know, we know that often black women are at the forefront of fighting for freedom and liberation for themselves and by that for everybody else. And so often I think, With our Enneagram types, we tend to confuse the fullness of who we are, the fullness of our identity with just this one singular story. So if over time I come to really believe that I have to always show up as strong or I have to always show up as caring or I have to always show up as optimistic, I lose access to the rest of who I am because I become so overly identified with this singular story. And I think we can't disengage from the fight for a freer world, but I also believe that the Enneagram can allow us to access more of the fullness of our humanity, even as we engage in the rest of the world that is still not equitable and is still not just. So we still need the armor, but it's really about creating space so that I know that I have access to Chi Chi, the rest of myself who can engage in playfulness and curiosity and rest and ease, even while the world is still a raging dumpster fire. So <laughs> that's, that's the invitation I see for black women, because I think so often we get so consumed with the fight that we forget that we are more than just the fight. It's like, what is the thing you're fighting for? How can you experience some of that ease and liberation and freedom and joy and play in your body today? And in order to be able to do that, we have to create space between the armor and the rest of who we are. Mm
0: -hmm. So the title of your book feels like a very bold proclamation, right? So tell me more about like how you think the Enneagram can be used for black liberation.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just that last piece I was talking about of really being able to create. I think there's so much power in the space. I think the space is where magic happens. And I think the space is where we can practice returning to ourselves. And so I think that because we live in a world where our armor is still very necessary, the work isn't to set it down. The work isn't to to go back to the beginning of when I was learning about it, the work isn't to be undefended. That's ridiculous in the world that we live in. So I really see the connections with Black Liberation and the Enneagram as being able to create that space so that we don't get maybe burnt out as easily, so that we don't lose access to our full selves, so that we don't miss out on the opportunity to fully experience some of what it is that we are fighting for today so that it's not just like this far off thing, like when these things happen, then I will be able to access. But it's like, how do we make space to access those things today? In the work that I have been doing with Black women around this, for a lot of people, it's very hard to answer the question, when do you feel most free? What does ease look like or feel like or sound like for you? It's like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever felt that, or I don't know the last time I felt that. And that is what I think the Enneagram can help us with. It is to bring awareness to these mental and emotional and somatic patterns that we have that keep us insulated or um, separated from our fullest selves. And not with shame, because we know that those patterns have been helpful, and can still be helpful in some ways, but to allow us to have the freedom to choose. I can practice being in my body enough to say, in this conversation with Dr. Joy, I don't need to be defended. So I can put my armor down and allow myself to experience the ease of a good conversation without anticipating danger or feeling like I have to perform or any of those things. But I know that in certain other spaces, I might need that armor, and that's okay, to put that back up, right? But if I don't have space to set it down, I also don't get to experience the fullness of maybe the care that's available for me from other people, the love, the assurance, the sense of community, like all of these beautiful things that our armor, the armor is there to theoretically keep out the bad stuff, but it also keeps out some of the good stuff, right? If we use the two as an example, if the armor is there to keep out this feeling of being rejected because I'm not valuable enough or I'm not doing enough to help people, the armor also keeps out the experience of being held and taken care of because you're so committed to not having needs or to not letting people know that you have needs so that you can keep showing up for them. But then you're feeling exhausted and you're feeling resentful because no one's showing up for you. But the armor is the thing in between, right? It's like, there might be people out there who do wanna show up for you, but you have to put down your armor to be able to experience that. So it's that creating space that really helps us as well as being mindful and conscious of when can I put this down and when do I need to hold it back up? Which space is safe? Which relationship is safe? And which one is not? As opposed to the binary of everything is unsafe or all of these bad things will happen if I put down my armor. There's a little bit of in-the-moment curiosity that allows us to act with consciousness.
0: Mm -hmm. More from my conversation with Chi-Chi after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us, and let's take care of our hearts together. Attention, all last-minute shoppers. Just a reminder that Mother's Day is May 12th, and if you're like me, you're still trying to figure out the perfect gift for the amazing moms in your life. But no worries, Macy's has got you covered. They've got gift guides to make shopping a breeze. Whether you're looking for the perfect pieces for your fashionista mom or for your best friend who's celebrating her very first Mother's Day this year, you can shop by price, by category, and they even have specialty lists to help focus you even more like a list for the mom who has it all, and a list of items that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted. Right now, some of this year's hottest items include digital picture frames and Polaroid cameras. With the help of their gift guides, I'm sure you'll find just the right thing. Head on over to Macy's.com giftfinder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. You may be aware that most people who are black have old type blood. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our
2: blood. Visit
0: redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now.
2: How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember, you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour, with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from ziplining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at VisitOrlando.com.
0: So I love that you and it sounds like you combine this like with your therapy practice. Right. And so I'd love to hear about what this looks like in therapy because it feels like it is a very natural fit, I think, for black people Mm -hmm. and black women specifically, because I think we engage the world often in storytelling. Right. It also feels like the typing of the, the personality types lends itself to kind of at first talking about something outside of you to get to the inner work, right? Mm. So there's a little bit of distance that I think sometimes makes it feel a little bit more emotionally safe. So can you talk about how you use this in therapy or how somebody might use this with a therapist? So you talked about finding out your type as a part of like a narrative interviewing kind of thing. And once you know your type, then how would you use it in therapy?
1: Yeah, so I'm not practicing currently, but when I was working with people, I find that it's really helpful to... When I think of working as a therapist, I think of listening to what people are not saying. And I think the Enneagram is such a great tool for that specific thing, because it's so subconscious that we often don't recognize, oh, the armor's up. Oh, I'm doing the thing, or I'm performing. But when you're able to see that in the other person and then you know what the core story is there, you know what the core fear is and the core motivation, it allows you to speak to that part with gentleness and with kindness. So each of the nine types has a core fear that motivates this story that they have, right? I've been using the two as the example, so I'll just stick with that. The core fear there is rejection, that if you don't see me as indispensable and the most helpful person in your life, you're going to get rid of me. You're going to throw me out and discard me and find somebody else who meets your needs better, right? So if I'm listening to someone who identifies as a two talk about like all the ways they're showing up for the people in their community, either with like excitement or with like some exhaustion, I might then be curious and ask, is there any part of you that's afraid that if you didn't do all these things for this person or for this group of people, that they wouldn't need you anymore and they wouldn't want to be in relationship with you anymore? So we can get to the core piece, I think, faster because we are conscious of it. We've named it. And it's not just like, oh, she's helping or they're just natural givers. Like That's true. And where is the core fear showing up right now? How can we be present with? that fear of rejection? How can we learn to soothe it? Then we could tie that to inner child work. Where did this come from? What were the early experiences of this? How can we go back and honor the experiences and soothe as a way to lessen the hold of the fear? It doesn't go away, but now I know what it is and I can name it. So I think that that's one of the most helpful ways that it can be used in therapy. And then also just kind of bringing awareness, like Naming out loud those patterns and habits that otherwise are just autopilot. Being able to be curious about it, having someone ask questions about it so that you can begin to notice and observe yourself in that way, I think is helpful as well. There are many Mm -hmm. other ways, but that's what comes up first.
0: Yeah. And so the way that you have laid out the typing, it doesn't sound like there is a hierarchy, right? Like it's just different. It's not like type one Mm -hmm. is ideal and we don't want to be a nine, right? Mm -hmm. Like they are just different. So so the goal is not to like move between types. And you've already said that that's not possible anyway. So when you refer to the work that people need to do, it sounds like it is about recognizing like what your pattern is and like what may be this core fear And then just kind of figuring out like how it shows up and how it may not be something that you want and how do you kind of minimize some of that?
1: And what else is true outside of that core story, right? I lead with type four, the romantic or the individualist. And the core fear here is abandonment, right? If I don't stand out in some way that causes you to think, oh, okay, she has something to say or she has something interesting to offer, then you will leave me right? And go find something more interesting. It's very similar to the two, but we go about it, right? So this is the core motivation piece, right? Both of these types don't want to feel like they're not enough and that you're going to go out there and find somebody else. But the two tries to minimize the possibility of that happening by being super helpful and generous. And the four tries to minimize the possibility of that happening by offering something unique and authentic and creative, But in addition to naming my core fear and understanding my patterns and my habits, the part of me that's able to observe those patterns in action is not as identified with them, right? So my inner observer can allow for more space. And then within that space, I get to be curious about what else is true about me. If I don't have to be exceptional and unique in this moment, who would I be free to be? What do I actually want to do? If I don't have to be seen as helpful all of the time, who would I be free to be? If I don't have to be seen as strong all the time, who would I be free to be? And it allows for a more expansiveness where our types are more about contraction. We contract into these singular stories of, I must be this way in order to be okay. And doing the work allows for more expansion to say, sometimes I need to be this way to be okay. But what else is true? Who else am I free to be if I expand beyond this one story?
0: And so how have you seen people kind of change or expand since that's a great word that you kind of keep using by using the Enneagram in their lives?
1: I have seen people get more access to parts of themselves that maybe they forgot about that they haven't allowed themselves to be present with. When I was doing individual work, I had a lot of people I worked with who were type eight. So the protectors and getting to watch them become more in contact, have more access to the softer parts of themselves, the more vulnerable parts of themselves that they usually avoid, and supporting them in learning to be with the discomforts long enough so that they can continue to build a relationship with that soft, vulnerable side was always such a beautiful thing because- then it's like watching a person realize, oh, I can be this thing about myself I've been trying to avoid. I can be that thing and still be okay. I can be soft and vulnerable and not completely dissolve, right? I can be boring (laughs) and inadequate and still be deserving of love. I can speak up and say, this is what I need and engage in conflict and not be discarded. And so really watching people step into and own those parts of themselves that their types have told them that they have to avoid in order to keep up with the one story has been a really beautiful, rewarding part of watching people expand. It's like really taking ownership over all of who we are rather than just the parts that we think will make us more worthy or deserving of love or safe.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you aware of any research that has been done that talks about like how we fall into personality types based on race or culture? I know we've anecdotally talked about, oh, this sounds a lot like a lot of Black women, but are you aware of any like studies or things that have been
1: done that talk about like us falling into certain personality styles? I am not. This answer could be wrong, but I don't think that it exists. And it's something that I have been in conversation with some other Black Enneagram teachers and Enneagram teachers of color who we want to explore this, basically. We want to have more definitive, more than just anecdotal stories around it, but what that looks like for Black folks. But mm-hmm. as of now, I don't think that exists. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I... I hope I'm wrong. I I mean, well, you've written
0: the book, so surely (laughs) this would have come up in your preparation for the book. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there are different ways to kind of get your Enneagram. So you've talked about kind of having a more narrative approach, but I imagine that there are other ways to kind of get your Mm -hmm. type. So that probably is a limitation also in that there are different ways to kind of identify what your Mm -hmm. Enneagram type is.
1: Yeah. The most popular one online is called the Ready, R-H-E-T-I, and it's a series of questions that you answer, and then it kind of gives you at the end what your primary type might be and then some options. I think that what, in either direction, my encouragement to people is to not take whatever the test says or whatever a practitioner says immediately as true of you. You still have to practice self-observation. So even if the test comes back and says, you know, you're a type six, sit with that, explore it think through, is this actually true of me over time? What questions do I have about this type? Um, let me look at the other types and see if that's also true. So that's really the heart of what we encourage with the narrative. I've met and worked with a lot of people who will say, oh yeah, I took the test and it said I was a seven, so I just went with it. And it's like, well, the actual growth and work happens when you practice self-observation. So it's not about what the if the test says you're a seven, it's Have you noticed in your regular life that you are constantly planning for the future? Have you noticed that you have difficulty being with uncomfortable feelings? What are you noticing about your actual lived experience? And does it match up with what the test said? And if it doesn't, explore other options.
0: Got it. So, are there other resources that you would suggest for anybody who wants to learn more besides your beautiful book? Are there other places that people can check to kind of learn more about Enneagrams?
1: Yeah, you can read about the types more in depth and even like the types in relationship and those sorts of things on either Narrative Enneagram's website, narrativeenneagram.org, or the Enneagram Institute.com. Those are like the two primary Enneagram programs in the US. I would recommend either of those in terms of language. There are also other books that I think do a good job of talking about the Enneagram. One of them is The Essential Enneagram. It's a little tiny yellow book. It also has the narratives typing test in it as well, where you read through the paragraphs and then it'll give you information about look-alike types. So there are some types that look a lot alike. So it'll give you some ways to identify if you connect with like two and nine, this is what to look for to help you make the difference between which one is your primary. And for the people who like to go in depth, there is the Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut, which talks about our subtypes, which is also really helpful information, but definitely too much information at the beginning. So if you are just getting involved with Enneagram, don't jump into subtypes yet. But I think the Complete Enneagram is a great resource for really getting to understand the 27 subtypes and noticing how that impacts where your energy goes on a day-to-day basis. There are so many other books. Those are the ones that come to mind first. My Learning Style is a lot more around like conversations or workshops or things like that. I love to read, but I also find that, for example, with the narrative, we teach through panels. So I am not the only one talking about what this type looks like. We have a panel of people who identify as this type and they get to share too from their experience. And I think that's such a powerful way to learn because you're getting to understand how this can show up differently in different bodies with different forms of identity. So getting in a workshop, learning with people, I think is also great. Other people can hold up a mirror to things that you might have a hard time seeing alone.
0: Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Well, tell us where we can stay connected with you, Chi Chi. What is your website as well as any social media channels you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, my website is chichiagoram.com. It's probably the best place to keep in contact with me. You can find my email on there, information about workshops and things like that. And then on Instagram, I am at the Enneagram for Black Liberation.
0: Perfect. We will be sure to include all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Chi-Chi. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so glad
0: Chi-Chi was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about her or to grab a copy of her book, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com session 270. And be sure to text two of your girls right now and tell them to check out the episode as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas, Elise Ellis, and Gabby Gladney, and editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Looking for
1: hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Bomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
0: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
2: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
0: Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite.